Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, engaging in unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Whether you're tuning in from your car, your office, your home, or anywhere in between, we are so happy to have you join us today. Our mission is simple, to explore the Bible through a powerful lens of love. Together, we'll uncover fresh insights and gain deeper understandings of how we can love God and love the people in our everyday lives. So buckle up and join us on the spiritual journey as we discover timeless wisdom that is just as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome to the Love and Context podcast. I'm trying to say this in a soothing, relaxing tone for you today. I like NPR. Is it working? Yeah. I guess not. Hey, welcome to the Love and Context podcast. Glad you're here. I'm Spencer, not Ben. I'm Ben, not Spencer. Yeah. Glad you can make it. We're going to continue on our way through Leviticus. 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 We are in Leviticus, and the last couple of weeks we talked about what is the purpose of Leviticus, what is this offering system, the sacrificial system. Last week we talked about what is the priesthood, mm-hmm. what is the goal of the priesthood, what is the role of the priesthood, and also how does that carry into the idea of the modern church with leadership and their responsibility to equip the saints for service. Mm-hmm. We had some important context to speaking truth in love. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a person who tends to use that phrase, I would just maybe encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I had somebody say that they listened to our stuff and they, they just jumped right in the middle. And I was like, what? You can do that. I was like, <laughs> but it's weird because we referenced things that we talked about, you know, uh-huh. already. So you may yeah. be like, what? Yeah. Uh, let's see. References uh, or resources for today. So D. Thomas Lancaster, we're still talking about what about the sacrifices. I'm going to add another book that he wrote called Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, because I'm going to reference it a little bit in talking about the works of the law today. Yeah. And he, it's a great read. It's much more academic, though, and much more, much longer than what about the sacrifices. Yeah. Additionally, we're going to always recommend the Bible Project, Aleph Beta, which is Rabbi David Foreman. The Baymont Podcast has some material, though they didn't spend as much time in Leviticus. I'll, I'll tell Marty that he needs to fix that. He needs to spend some more time <laughs> in Leviticus. And those are some good resources for you. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about works of the law versus the moral law. Yeah. And specifically, what is the purpose of the law? What does the law actually do? Right. And I think one of the good places to start with this is you need to understand the law and the laws that are written here in context against the current laws of the surrounding areas. Correct. And we're not going to dive too deep into exactly what those laws were, but you need to understand it in context against those current laws because uh, there is a contrast there. Uh There is a huge contrast there. Just like if you were going to compare uh, laws from Congo, Central Africa to the laws of UK, England. I don't know the laws of any of those countries very well, but I imagine they're different. I feel like they're different. I imagine they're different, right? Like, if you're going to compare laws of two different countries, you have to note that those countries are going to have different laws for different reasons. And so, in the same context here, we want to view what is being written as the law in Leviticus in contrast against the laws of the surrounding nations of the day. So, placing Israel in a context, Mm -hmm. we have to understand that when God gives a law, what is his purpose in giving the law? Yeah. It's it's going to be to speak into the context that they're in. Yes. Not the context we're in. Uh And so, we have to understand the purpose of the law, not necessarily the specific law. Mm -hmm. Right? 
And you know what? Let's just jump right in on a few of them because I think like this, yeah. it's going to be really helpful. There's a group of laws that I'm going to call hygiene laws, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it says if you have a discharge from your body, if you throw up, mm-hmm. you get secluded for seven days from the assembly. Then you go and see the priest and he says, if you're still sick, then you go and stay, spend seven days more. And then he's gonna actually going to pronounce you as well and be able to rejoin the assembly, mm-hmm. right? Now we look at that law and like in our context, first of all, we typically don't call being sick discharged from the body. Mm-hmm. There's probably a medical person out there. That's exactly what they call it. <laughs> but I can tell you that Benjamin does not call it that. <laughs> and maybe Spencer does, but Ben does not. When I hear discharge from the body, like my mind goes to like worst case scenario. Yeah. Blood. And yeah, but it just goes to being very sick to where something's coming out of one end pretty rapidly. I'm not going to go into more detail than that. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to try to, going to try to keep it not so gross. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, given that the world is uh, three years removed from a global pandemic mm-hmm. where we talked about, you know, secluding so that you actually don't spread sickness around to a bunch of different places, which, by the way, is a general, generally a pretty good rule. If you're sick, don't go to somebody else's house. Yeah. These are common sense things that make a lot of make a lot of difference. Now, why is that significant that God is actually bringing this into the Israelite people? Because this isn't a regular practice of the cultures. Mm hmm. Right, they would actually just be sick, and they would be moving around, and all these things. They wouldn't seclude their people, or every time somebody gets sick, they would seclude them, and then they would just perish away from the community. Mm-hmm. God is having a way to take care of the infected person and also preserve the integrity of the community, mm-hmm. because they're going to be wandering in a desert. And for Pastor Nick's wife, the desert's real hot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She she comments every time I say that, so I'm just going to do it again. Yeah. It's real hot and there's not medical resources available, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just that hygiene. There's there's ones about like skin disease, mm-hmm. right? So you think about, so chicken pox is something that kids get when they're little. Mm-hmm. And we don't think about it being uh, super dangerous. But if you're an adult and you get chicken pox, you can actually get real sick. Yeah. Like real sick. And so you actually have to be really careful when you get these types of things. We forget living in a society where there's 15 clinics in a hospital. Getting sick is actually not a big deal for us. For the Correct. Most, most For the most part, now there are times where it is a big deal. I want to just be clear on that. But for the most part, if we get sick, we can take care of it. We if can you get either. a headache, you take aspirin. Yeah. there We have medication for it. If it gets to a point where it doesn't seem like it's going away, there's clinics, there's hospitals. We can get treatment for most things out there nowadays. Yeah. This is not a society where that was an option. Right. And a lot of the the quote unquote medical options weren't actually that helpful. Go read some of like the like wait, this is actually a fun one. Go read some of the medical textbooks and what they were recommending at the founding of America. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, like some of the things that they were recommending to do is you could go I could go back in time mm-hmm. and go be a part of that society and I'm like, no, we're not gonna try to remove bad blood. <laughs> no, we're not gonna stick leeches on them. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> you know what I mean, and and that's not to judge them. That's the place they were, mm-hmm. and so we're not placing a judgment. So God is giving them some laws. We look at them as laws, and we look at them as oppressive. And so that's why sometimes the word law is insufficient, because that's not necessarily representative of what's actually going yeah. on. God is giving them some instructions that are meant to bring life to them. Yeah, which by the way is what laws do for our life in general. Mm-hmm. Sin being the archery term that we missed a mark. We were shooting for something and we missed it and we fell short or however you want to describe that. The we What did we fall short of? Life. What mm-hmm. God calls us to be. Yeah. 
like the very nature of our identity. And we were like, hey, I'm going to take for and, and do for myself. We talk about Genesis 3. I'm yep. going to try to define for myself good and evil. It actually produces death in my life, which, by the way, is what Romans is talking about, that when you invest in sin as a Jew or a Gentile, the result of that, the wage that you are paid from that is death. Yes. But the gift of God, something you can't earn, mm -hmm. is actually eternal life, a qualitative life spent with God. So the law and the words in the law are actually meant to bring life. They're meant to turn Israel into a more ethical, healthy, functional society that's capable of putting a story on display. And just to piggyback on the hygiene thing just a little bit, mm -hmm. and you, I just want to reemphasize this, a lot of the hygiene laws were just very practical for their day. Uh -huh. Very practical for their day. Just like we in America have some basic hygiene like expectations, like there's no written law saying that you have to shower every day. But if you don't shower every day and you don't wear deodorant and you don't do a few things like that, you're probably going to smell. And, and it's probably not good and it's not good for you. And you were talking about like surrounding nations and how it has an impact. So uh, with hygiene, let's talk about something kind of related to that, kind of not. So there's a lot of sexual things mentioned in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, fathers don't have sexual relations with your children. Some very practical things that we'd be like, no, duh. Right. Um, especially when we talk about bloodlines, we talk about heredi hereditary design, like all these different things that like geneticists will tell us about. Biologists will tell us about that. If you intermingle blood of very similar families, you're going to end up with some very messed up genes. Mm -hmm. Right. In Egypt, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Their laws are completely different. Right. Mm -hmm. And so God actually speaks into that to teach them how to be different. Mm -hmm. And he says, these are things that are not acceptable. And he uses words like, this is detestable. You're going to be put to death. And once again, we got to look around ceremonial language and actually what actually happens, right? Because a lot of the language is meant to uh, illustrate, hey, these things bring death. Mm -hmm. Which on a very real level is true because if you inbreed inside of your community, you're eventually going to have genes that go nowhere. Yeah, and so a lot of these laws, and we're gonna we're gonna have a podcast episode later on Leviticus called the Weird Ones. I think it's actually our next episode. It's our next one. It's gonna be. I'm actually very excited for it. But a lot of these laws are just. We look at them as, oh yeah, it's very simple. This is very basic. But it's actually very counterintuitive to what they would have known. We just got to keep that in mind. Yeah, exactly. And it's like people are when they read this. I. One of the places where they mention that this law is very oppressive to women, mm -hmm. it talks about the menstrual cycle yeah, and how long they need to seclude because they're unclean. And I was like, here's the deal. It's not sinful because we've talked about how unclean is not sinful. Mm -hmm. It's just unclean. Like that process is not a easy process. Mm -hmm. It's just not an easy process on a woman. It's not an easy process on the from the level of sickness. I was like, because if it's not dealt with properly the woman and the people around them can get very sick because mm -hmm. you're dealing with blood mm -hmm. and blood can make people very sick. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those laws are actually built around preservation of women, not subrogation of women. Mm -hmm. I just want to tell you a really funny story. There is this article I read a while back as this Christian guy who's like, Hey, I'm going to follow the Levitical law for a certain period of time just yeah. to see what it was like type thing. His wife, it was her time of the month, and so he did something or said something that she got frustrated about. So she went and sat on every surface in the house. <laughs> she was practicing, like, modern-day hygiene. Yeah. And she went and sat on every surface of the house, and then she's like, all right, now it's all unclean. Have fun standing. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
It's pretty funny. Uh-huh. Man, the petty side of marriage. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> yeah, so like on a very practical side, if this law, which we would interpret, I think that a lot of people would interpret, they're like, oh man, they're making it hard for women because they're having to be taken away from society. I was like, except it's actually about preservation of women. Yeah. It's like making sure that their health stays in order, that they're not being abused by the system. And if they're following the law, like the community can't just leave them behind because they're taking too long, right? They can't shortchange their health. They're actually being kept in line by this law. And this law is meant to actually preserve them, take care mm-hmm. of them, build them up. And I was like, I don't know if you actually know, but Levitical law is actually very pro-women in a world that wasn't. Yes. It's not going to seem that way because you read it through the 20th century American lens, but God is subverting expectations for people constantly about roles of women and how they're supposed to be treated. It's almost like it's a partnership and we're not supposed to do it alone. And just side note, majority of the laws of surrounding nations didn't even have laws, didn't have good laws around how women were supposed to be treated. And if they did, it was a position of fear, not a position of showing your devotion to God. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like sexual laws, that's purity laws, that's talking about hygiene. There's a lot of laws that encompass that. Now, the other one that shows up very frequently when people talk about Jewish law is food. Yes. I think one of the one of one of my favorite quotes when Marty and Brent Billings are talking on Bayma podcast is they talk about the cup of bacon. <laughs> right? They keep talking about they went to this place and there was a cup of bacon and they're like, Oh, there's a Gentile item I've ever seen on a menu. <laughs> and so every time I think of dietary laws, I think of a cup of bacon. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> it's Yeah, actually. So one of my favorite, so when I was one, at one point I was working for a company and they they are based in uh, Illinois. And so I went for a training at their home office. And the first night before we had our training, I went to the menu and I recognized that I was in like the mid America. The reason I recognize it is the first appetizer, appetizer listed was deep fried bacon. And I was like, America, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, let's go. I'll take four of those, please. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the food laws are interesting because we often look at these as really restrictive, mm-hmm. but they're really not once you actually dive into it a little bit. Again, let's just, let's just make sure context is where it needs to be. Refrigeration was not a thing. Right. Okay. Pristine kitchens, not a thing. Pristine kitchens, not a thing. We're talking about cooking food over a fire, probably. Or a boiling pot. Boiling pot or something like that. Like, we're not talking about, we don't have the controlled stove environments that we have today. Yep. And it's around a campfire as you're Mm -hmm. roaming the desert. Yep. Yep. Around the campfire as you're roaming the desert. There's probably dust getting in on your food, stuff like this too. And so the idea around some of these laws is actually to keep you healthy is all it is. Like he said it nicely, but it's so you don't die. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you don't die. Take pork, for example. We're, we've been picking on bacon. I like bacon. I had bacon for breakfast mm-hmm. this morning. But take pork, for example. Pork is a meat that you have to cook thoroughly all the way through. Mm-hmm. And even when I cook pork, which I love pork, but when I cook it, I have a thermometer and I am sticking that thermometer in the pork to make sure it's getting up to about 160 degrees internal. Otherwise, there's this fancy thing in pork called botulism Uh that you can get, makes you incredibly sick, and if you didn't have a hospital, you'd probably die from it. Yeah. And guess what they did not have? Hospitals. Hospitals. Thermometers. They did not have thermometers. They did not have great controlled cooking environments. 
The other thing that they probably were short on was actually good kitchen utensils. It's not it's not like they knew, okay, if I cut a one-inch slab of pork and I cook it for X amount of time on each side, the internal temperature is going to get up to whatever. They didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So what God does is he lines out, he's like, hey, don't eat pork because mm-hmm. this is actually a risk to your health. Right. If you actually engage in this and all the other nations are like, ah, pork chops, they're great. That's actually, mm-hmm. once again, Book of Second Opinions, they said mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That's sarcastic in case anybody didn't know. <laughs> but they're like every other nation is eating pork and they're looking at it and like, oh, we want to eat pork. Except you don't because you're literally taking your life in your hands potentially when you eat pork. Literally. Yeah. If it's not prepared right, you could die. Yeah. I don't know if you also know this, not just pork, but let's talk about seafood. You know what happens when you cook crab incorrectly and eat it? Blah. You get real sick. What happens when you cook prawns incorrectly and eat them? You get sick. What happens when you eat shrimp incorrectly and eat them? You get sick. Now, did God say that they couldn't eat anything from the water? No. No. He said that they couldn't eat specific things from the water that would kill you if you ate them incorrectly. They'll make you sick. Yeah. And and the point here is like when you run into Peter in the book of Acts, God says, he brings out the food. He says, take and eat and kill. And Peter's like, I can't do that because I'm Jewish. He's like, don't tell me something's unclean that I've made clean. Now, we take that as uh, 100% God is telling him that what you think is unclean, the Gentiles, mm-hmm. is actually where I'm working. And I think that's a perfect application because you have the four corners and four being a Gentile number, referencing reaching out into the community. 100% on board with that. But from that point forward, with like, the Gentiles, why is it not a big deal for them to eat pork and for them to eat fit or the, the crab and all those different things? Because science has actually progressed at that point. People aren't dying constantly from pig and from mm-hmm. crab. Now, there's probably some person who's going to be like, actually, on a general level. Yeah, we're talking general level. If you So if you look at like the cooking practices of them being in the desert during Levitical law, right? And cooking practices uh, during the Roman uh, occupation. It's actually different. Roman occupation, you actually had the, you actually had stone wood fire ovens. You could control heat a lot more. You could uh, get a something cooked well-rounded in an oven uh, you could get bread to raise, rise more evenly, all these things versus back that day. I love that you said back that day. Let's back, back that, that day. day up. <laughs> yeah, versus back in that day, yeah. Leviticus, it was different. Yeah, You didn't have those things, right? So what we're not saying is that Jews should stop or should start eating pork. No. Right? That is not what we're actually saying. Uh, if you are a Jew who follows Jesus, you have a call on your life to put God on display. In fact, we're about to just start talking about this mm-hmm. uh, because Gentiles have a different call on their life than Jews do. Yeah. We serve the same God, mm-hmm. but we put God on display in different ways. Yes. The Jews are responsible for, for preserving the history and preserving Torah and helping us understand the story that we've been grafted into. The responsibility of the Gentiles is to take that story, incorporate it, and translate it to the nations. Yes. Well, we put God on display in different ways. So- mm-hmm. We told you last week we're going to be getting into Galatians, okay? So Galatians has often been a book that I think people have used to talk about why you shouldn't be Jewish and you should be a Gentile. Yes. Why Levitical law no longer applies for Jews. The problem is Paul was a Jew observing Torah, Mm -hmm. writing to other Jews that observe Torah, Mm -hmm. and God-fearing Jews— so if he's making that statement to them, it's weird. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what was actually happening in, in the book of Galatians, in this in this area of Galatia. Uh-huh. So you have three groups of people. You have the brothers, uh, which are the natural-born Jewish people. Mm-hmm. 
you have the children of Abraham who are people who have become part of the nation through um, conversion. Mm-hmm. And then you have God-fearing Gentiles. Okay, these this is the Jewish church we're talking about at this point. Paul comes through and he has been preaching to them faith through Christ alone. This is the crux of the matter that's going through the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and many of the other letters that Paul is writing. People are struggling with this thing. Do you have to be a Jew to follow Jesus? And Paul has made this argument repeatedly that faith and salvation is found in faith in Jesus Christ alone. That it is faith in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ that is actually what saves you. And he quotes back from Abraham and he says that Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness before the law came. So circumcision can't be the thing that actually makes you holy. Now, why Paul is so amped up in this book is because he came through and he delivered the good news. The believers in the area, the God-fearing Gentiles, received Christ and the Holy Spirit. Their lives passed from death to life. They have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They are now a new creation. And then other Jews from Jerusalem came and said, oh, but you need to actually go through the rites of circumcision and take on the works of the law or else you're not going to get to participate in the kingdom of heaven to come. Mm -hmm. So here's the issue that Paul runs into because he says, are you so quickly abandoning what I gave you? Yeah. He says, if you go now, after you have already said, Christ has changed me, walk me from death to life, and you say, but in order to achieve this, I have to observe the works of the law. Mm-hmm. Then the sacrifice of Christ was worthless. Yeah. Now, notice what he's not saying. He's not saying the works of the law are worthless. Mm-hmm. He's saying the works of the law could never produce the righteousness of God. Yeah. They were a means of putting God on display. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the reasons I think this is really important, there's actually uh, um, a few people who have talked about this. There's some really popular people on various social media things that are Bible scholars, and they say that there is no differentiation between the moral law and the works of the law in Mm -hmm. the in the um, Levitical law. Mm -hmm. That's somewhat incorrect, because in the time of Paul and Jesus, there is a series called there is a statement called Mixaate Altera. Mm -hmm. It is the works of the law. And it's widely understood in Jewish culture to be those things that you do that make you inherently Jewish. For example, not eating pork. Yeah. Being circumcised, not wearing blended fabric, Mm -hmm. like these things, wearing tassels on the end of your rope. There are things that made you inherently Jewish that when you ran into someone, you're like, oh, you're a Jew. You belong to Yahweh. Mm -hmm. You look different. And Paul says, these are not the things that justify you. Now, notice the things he's not talking about is everything in the law, which I think is a tendency of what we American Christians tend to do. We say everything in the law. No, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about the way that we treat neighbor. Mm -hmm. He's talking about the specific things you do to make yourself Jewish. Yeah. And there's a great application just today for this because- in the law, there's these things that are listed out, right? Like mm-hmm. not eating pork, not eating shellfish, not wearing blended fabrics, tassels on the end of the robes, etc. right? To where when people encounter you, they're like, we know who you are, right? Now, we're called to put on Christ in our lives. Gentiles. Yep. Us as Gentiles are called to put on Christ on our lives. And when we say yes to Jesus and His work and the work of the Holy Spirit 
is in us, we produce the fruit of the spirit, mm -hmm. which is supposed to lead us to a spot where when people encounter us, they're like, oh, we know who you belong to. Because it's in Galatians that Paul actually talks about the fruit of the spirit. I'm glad you caught that. Yeah. Uh, that was a little sarcasm jab there for Ben. That's what's going on here is Paul is saying, hey, like he's drawing a parallel that the Jewish people that are in Galatia would understand and applying it to Jesus and what it looks like today. That's such, such a great segue too, because so the Jews have a specific way they're supposed to put God on display, right? Yeah. They look different. Now, I also think that they act in such a different way. So we're talking about the moral law where they uh, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, like these types of things that were very common among all mm -hmm. the cultures, right? Yeah. But Jesus is even going to speak some context into that for the Jews and mm -hmm. for us, I believe too. In the New Testament, he's going to say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Mm -hmm. So you have heard it said, do, do not commit adultery, but I say unto you not to even look at a woman so as to lust after her. Mm -hmm. That is a rabbinic way of saying you always heard this, but it was always supposed to lead to this. Mm -hmm. So don't commit adultery was always supposed to create in you to be the kind of person who didn't cheat on your spouse mm -hmm. or to look at somebody lustfully. Mm -hmm. Do not murder was always supposed to produce in you to be the kind of person who didn't call people idiots or write them off or re respond in anger. Mm hmm. Right. These are the things that they were supposed to produce in you. Jesus didn't up the ante. He says this was what it was always supposed to do in you. Mm -hmm. So now we as Gentiles, when we put on the fruit of the spirit, this is the natural way that we show we follow Jesus and we actually put him on display for the nations so that when people run into you and me, they say, why are you different? And I get to tell the story of why my God is different. Mm -hmm. He's holy. He's separate from anything that they understand because in the place of anger, he produces peace. Mm -hmm. In the place of hatred, he produces love. Yeah. In the place of systematic breakdown, mm -hmm. he produces fulfillment because that's who he is. He's the God who has a thousand times more compassion than he has anger. And putting Christ on display, I, oftentimes, so growing up in the church, I was always told these big, grandiose ways to do that, right? Like through, like I was told like different street evangelism tactics, like all this types of stuff. And then as I've walked with Jesus, I've learned that it's the little things. It's the little things. Like one of my goals every, just to give you an example of my life, one of my goals every time I fly is to make the TSA agents laugh. Because I've seen how other people have treated them. Right. And I've seen people yell at them, get frustrated. I've seen people. Uh, just side note, we live in Alaska. We fly a lot. Alaskans fly a lot. Yeah, we're not connected to the rest of the state, so you got to fly. Yeah, so you got to fly. So, like, we're on a plane. We're on planes quite a bit. Incidentally, if you're wondering about the TSA, he has been arrested multiple times. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> have not. But I've seen, how, I've seen how those people have been treated. And so my goal every time I see him is to make him smile, make him laugh, show a little bit of Jesus to him, right? Not in big ways, mm -hmm. right? Just a, about a week ago, I was coming through the airport and the TSA agent, the person in front of him was not very kind, nice, was frustrated about some stuff. And this is in the lower 48. So I get up to the gate and the TSA agents, you can tell us, okay, here's another person. And I just struck up with a basic conversation. Yeah, I'm going home to Alaska. And she's, oh, I've always wanted to bid there. And then I just cracked the joke. I was like, oh, winter is the best time to come. You want to come in winter. <laughs> and she just lost it. She was just like, she's like, okay, that was good. And then after that, as I'm walking away, she's like, thank you for that. Like, it's the little things yeah. that can put Christ on display too. Brightening up someone's day, 
And so when we're talking about this love, patience, kindness, mm-hmm. gentleness, but we're talking about the fruit of the spirit, it doesn't need to just be displayed in big, grandiose fashions all the time. Sometimes those are good, but it can also be displayed in the little things. Hey, can I, hey, can I buy the stranger behind me a cup of coffee? Can I do those things? My wife uh, accuses me of grand romantic gestures. It happens frequently. Like that's just something that I like to do. But one of the things is if I only did those things in my relationship, does my wife really know that I love her? Or when I do the dishes and clean up after the boys and massage her feet because her feet are sore and make the bed and ask her about her day, Mm -hmm. sit at the table with her to eat. Mm -hmm. These are all things that I do on a regular basis to put on display how I feel about her. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's true about my wife, how much more true is that about God? Yeah. Like when you put love on display in the way that you treat people, Mm -hmm. especially people you disagree with with yes you put the heart of god on display mm-hmm. last week we talked about what's the role of priesthood to con- mm-hmm. be a conduit of mercy from god to the world mm-hmm. this is the exact same thing the law the works of the law what we put on display is meant to actually put god on display mm-hmm. yeah the moral law is meant for us to align our character with god's mm-hmm. when we start to really live into the 10 words of god and it starts to actually permeate our existence it changes everything. It puts it changes everything. And not just in your heart, but in the atmosphere you live in. I think one of the reasons we struggle as a church in general with the law is because we look at Torah, and I'm talking about Genesis through Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. through a lens of God is mad at us. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a lot, that a lot of times we start the story in Genesis 3 and it starts in Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. We see an angry God rather than the fact that God is working through humanity to redeem, that he has infinite patience as he's working with people. The golden calf happens, but he also restores them. This is happening over and over again throughout the book. And if you assume that God is mad at you, you're going to read these and assume that they're meant to bring fear in your life or obedience or else. What if God was who he says he is? What if he is actually love and these things that he's telling us to do, these things that he's telling to be a part of our life actually produce in us something that's actually worth having. Mm -hmm. What if God actually knows what he's talking about? Mm -hmm. And when you read Leviticus that way, I think you're going to come away with a completely different conclusion about what this book is about. So God created us. He knows how we're designed. He knows how we're wired. Let's hope so. (laughs) You're right. When you make something that you dearly love, you know how it's designed, you know how it's wired. You spend time with something, you know how it's designed, you know how it's wired. Do you think he knows what's best for you? I'm going to digress with an analogy that's probably not the best, but it's what's in my head. It's your ADHD moment, folks. Every time I drive old cars, just because I do, I drive old beat up cars. The car, it usually takes me about a year to get to know the inner workings of the car. Because every car manufacturer is a little different. Takes me a little while to get to know the inner workings of a car. And then when that car can, when I end up getting a new car, it takes me a little bit of time to get to know the inner workings of that because I do all my own maintenance on my own cars. It takes a little bit of time, right? God designed us. He knows the inner workings of our heart. And he set this in motion, those scriptures in motion so that we can draw closer to him because he knows us. 
and he wants us to know him. That's what's happening in Leviticus right here. It's not like, here's a bunch of rules, and if you don't follow the rules, shame on you. It's like, hey, I know what's best for you. Uh-huh. And I know some of you probably, as I said, no, I know what's best for you. You might have jumped to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where God says, hey, for I know the plans I have for you. That verse is actually placed in the context of despair, depravity, uh-huh. enslavement. They're about to go into captivity to Babylon. Yeah. They're about to go into captivity in Babylon. They're about to experience some of the worst years of their lives. And God says, hey, but I'm here. I know the plans I have. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, Mm -hmm. not to harm you. Yeah. Because in that moment, it's really easy to see Mm -hmm. the harm and not realize that God's meaning to prosper you. In the very next verses after Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I set you and bring you to your home again to your own land. Oftentimes I hear Jeremiah 29, 11 quoted just as that one verse. And, but there's a part in there where it says, and if you seek after me, I will be there. I am with you in this time. And if you seek me, I will answer your prayers. And tying that back to Leviticus, when we're looking through Leviticus, this is what the Lord's doing is he's saying, hey, here's some practical ways you can seek after me. Here's some practical ways you can honor me. Here's some ways you can put me on display. Yeah. And so we're going to try to abandon that mentality that God is mad with you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I'm not going to say God never gets mad about things. I don't think Mm -hmm. that's true. I think that there's definitely examples in scripture, especially when you are... Uh, abusing your power over somebody else. God gets a little bit annoyed about that Mm -hmm. because you've actually stepped out of the story and you become the opposite of the right story. Yeah. But if God is speaking truth and love and goodness into your life, let's maybe assume that this doesn't necessarily, it wasn't spoken to a 20th century American church. Yeah. And that what's happening here, God is bringing life and he's actually promoting a different kind of existence for the church of Israel at that point. Mm -hmm. We see that as the scriptures progress that more and more there's more liberation that's happening, freedom that's happening as they serve and follow God. Mm -hmm. It's almost like the law is meant to align us with who God is, bring us into proper relationship with him so that through his spirit, we can move everywhere Mm -hmm. and see his kingdom come on, on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So do drop us a line here, loveincontest at gmail.com. Next week, we are going to be talking about the controversial ones. We're going to talk about some of the laws that people get up in arms about. It's going to be so fun. Yeah. And I'm so excited. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And we'll see if that ends up getting most of our views <laughs> or at least most of our hate mail, maybe. Um, ah, that's all right. Bring it on. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, on Instagram, on Facebook. We're, we're a lot of different places. Ticket to talk. Ticket to talk. Yeah. Tickety talk goes the clock. That's where you can find us. Uh huh. And you can always email us at loveandcontext at gmail.com. And also, Spencer did set up a website for us, loveandcontext.org. Mm-hmm. Man. That's a wrap for today's episode. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you for tuning in and spending your valuable time with us. 
We hope that you found today's conversation insightful and that you take something meaningful from it. If you have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at loveandcontext at gmail.com and we will be sure to get back to you. Remember, you can always engage with our content on all your favorite listening platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Love and Context on Instagram and Facebook for updates. Pickles. Chicken. <laughs> pickled chicken. Spicy, spicy chicken pickles. <laughs> I was thinking, like, how, you know, you pickle, like, things, like... Oh, you're thinking about pickling <laughs> chicken? That'd be disgusting. <laughs>